Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast for the second week in Advent. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Advent is a time when we look forward. We look forward to that happy time of year when we celebrate the most popular holiday of all with family and friends. We more importantly are looking forward to the birth of Jesus Christ, as though the birth lies in the future, not 2,000 years in the past. We're going to begin today by reading the opening of the Gospel of Mark. Now, this may seem to be a strange choice when we are preparing for Christmas, because the Gospel of Mark does not tell the story of Jesus' birth, unlike Matthew and Luke. There are no singing angels, there are no awe-filled shepherds, and no adoring parents kneeling by an infant in a manger. There is no mention of Bethlehem. Instead, Mark's gospel begins nearly 30 years after the birth of Jesus Christ with the story of Jesus coming out to the Jordan River in the wilderness to be baptized by John. It's not inappropriate to turn to Mark during Advent, however, because John immediately refers us back to the words of the prophet Isaiah, written six centuries before that talk about the ancient promise of a Messiah who would be sent to the people of Israel. We read in Mark 1-8, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here ends the reading. Isaiah said that these were to be words of comfort for God's people. And Mark implies that John is that messenger God was sending into the world to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, that is, Jesus Christ. The way that the people are to prepare the way of the Lord is to take part in what John is offering, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Many people responded, coming out, confessing their sins, and being baptized in the water of the River Jordan. Over the years, I've led many groups of pilgrims to Israel and Jordan. And on every trip, we stopped at the traditional sites on the Jordan River where John did his baptism. There are two traditional sites vying for the honor of the place where the baptism put, took place, one in Israel and one in Jordan. At both of these sites on different trips, I've waded out into the water and immersed members of our group as remembrance of their baptisms. There's something different about these baptismal reenactments 
from the baptisms that John was performing. We think of our baptisms, especially infant baptism, as practice in many churches, as our introduction to the body of Christ or the church. As the water is drizzled over the infant's head, they receive the Holy Spirit and become members of the Christian community, which we call the church. At the same time, the members of the church commit to raising the child in the Christian life. Adult baptism differs only in that the baptized consents to taking responsibility for faith and their participation in the Christ church. John's baptism, on the other hand, is one of confession and repentance. Confession is an open admission of a person's sin. Repentance is the commitment to change our ways and turn and walk in a different direction, in the way of the Lord, to be specific. Looking at the story of John at the Jordan could lead us in, in two directions. We could think about this story as a communal call to repentance. When Isaiah spoke his words of comfort to his people, he was speaking about all the people of Israel, not one particular person. He was calling the community of faith to turn back to God. They were to confess the injustices that existed in their society and reform their national direction to conform to the expectations of God. Now, this would certainly be a helpful message to explore considering the moral crises that Israel faces today while defending themselves from an enemy dedicated to their destruction while at the same time having to inflict massive destruction and the loss of many innocent lives among the civilian population of Gaza. Today, however, I'm going to take a more personal look at the implications of this story. I want us to think about what it means for each and every one of us to think about what it would be like to be called out to John in the wilderness. What is it in your life that you would be called to confess? And what would that confession lead you to change in your life? In other words, I'm inviting you to look at Advent as not only a time of joyful expectation, but also as a time of deep personal reflection. What can you do to make straight the way of the Lord in your life? We can find some guidance in 2 Peter 3, 11-19, where we read, Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. I like Peter's first simple admonition. Strive to be at peace. As we await the coming of the Lord, some patience is required. A confession that I might make this Advent is, God, I confess 
that I live with anxiety and fear instead of peace and hope. I worry and fret so much that it not only affects my life, but also the peace and happiness of those around me. Dear Lord, when you come again, let me be found at peace. Amen. Now, that's an honest confession I could and should make. Maybe you too. Think of the anxieties that rule your life and get in the way of your happiness and therefore the happiness of those around you. Advent is a good time to confront our anxieties since approaching the holidays is the most stressful time of the year. As we spend for Christmas presents and holiday festivities, instead of being happier, we may be filled with guilt and shame because we have been taught that's not the way to manage our money. The way to manage our money, the way we manage our money is the most important thing in life. In contrast, Jesus advises us to let go of our anxieties, and that would include about money. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Here ends the reading. Finance advisor Dana Miranda says that we live in a budget culture. And budget culture is a system of beliefs that worships wealth, promotes debt elimination as a means of attaining happiness and higher status. It demonizes certain kinds of spending and shames people who don't manage their money in specific ways. It gives the false sense that if we have complete control over our spending, that we will be happy. When we are controlled by budget culture, money rules our lives no matter how much we have. The only problem is that simply putting restrictions on what we want and what we spend in the long run does not work. How do we then change our ways so that we don't live with anxiety, especially during the holiday season? What does it look like to repent of our anxiety? Saying, don't worry about it, everything's going to be all right, isn't very satisfying, even if the words come from Jesus himself. But instead of putting our emotional and spiritual energy on managing our money and worrying about what we spend, we can direct our energy in other directions and focus our lives on building other kinds of wealth the treasure that Jesus says we store up for heaven. That can involve spending our time in worship and prayer. Instead of thinking about how we're going to allocate our money, we better think about how we're going to allocate our time to be with those we love and how we're going to have time to worship 
and pray. Now, I'm in no way advocating that anyone be irresponsible in their spending. What I am advocating is prioritizing what is important in our lives. When we prioritize our spiritual lives, we crowd out the negative overindulgent behaviors that once ruled our lives. Now, this can be a hard thing to do. My wife and daughter and I have always enjoyed Christmas Eve with family and the opening of presents, piles of presents. A number of years ago, when our Christmas Eve gatherings had whittled down to just the three of us, we'd made the decision to forego gift-giving to each other and focus on our time together on Christmas Eve. Now, we made that decision with fear and trepidation. We were afraid that Christmas would be ruined without those piles of gifts to open. The first year, we all broke down and bought a few great gifts. But eventually, we learned that our experience was even richer when we focused on our time together and the hope and peace of the Christmas message. John the Baptist, who lived in the wilderness and lived on locusts and wild honey, serves as an example of putting the spiritual life first. The same principle applies to our diet culture as our budget culture. There are a gazillion diet programs out there that are aimed at helping us take off weight. We're made to feel shame if our bodies don't conform to the image of those beautiful people we see on TV or on the internet. Almost all of these programs encourage us to restrict what we eat and get more exercise. Some count calories. Some give points for certain foods and prescribe the number of points you can rack up during the day. Many have certain foods that are forbidden, forbidden, and some that are magical weight reducers. The only problem is, like restricting our spending, in the long term, they seldom work in bringing us satisfaction and happiness. When they do work, they are anxiety-producing. The new trend has been using weight loss medications like Ozembic, which implies that being overweight is an illness. There are ways to repent of our other ways to repent of our weight loss anxiety. It is healthier to gain a realistic body image instead of trying to conform to a cultural image of what your body should look like. Develop your own positive image of your body. This Christmas, when you are surrounded by Christmas goodies, treat yourself guilt-free to an extra sugar cookie and don't try to make up for it the next day by starving yourself. Remember that you cannot by worrying or probably by dieting add a single day to your life. Eat healthy, but eat happy. From these simple examples, we see that confession and repentance can be good news. By getting our minds and our values straight, we are preparing the way for the Lord to come into our hearts in positive ways. Confession and repentance lead us to a more satisfying place in our lives. They open us up to experience the true joy of Christ coming into the world as a Savior. 
In addition to living in peace, Peter has another admonition of how we're to live as we wait for the coming of the Lord. He says that we should live our lives without spot or blemish. Now, that seemed to me like a pretty tall order. The reference to the lamb without blemish comes from the practice of offering sacrifice in the temple. In the description of the preparation for the Passover, Exodus 12:5 says, Your lamb shall be spotless without blemish. We offer only the best to the Lord. But what about us? One of the greatest truisms of all time is that no one is perfect. I'm not without spot or blemish. So how are we supposed to be spotless? The fact is, without spot or blemish, is always aspirational. Something to work toward. Just the pursuit of the spotless life, however, helps us to prepare the way for the Lord and make his path straight. We're constantly making corrections to our paths. As we get ready for Christmas, seeking to live out the Christmas spirit may provide some guidance. But then I thought, what is the Christmas spirit? So bear with me. I enlisted some help by doing something I've never done before. I used artificial intelligence to write me a poem about the Christmas spirit. And here's what the Bing AI-powered chatbot came up with me when I asked it to write me a poem about the Christmas spirit. The chatbot said, I'm glad you asked me to write a poem about Christmas spirit. I hope you enjoy this one. And it titled it Christmas Spirit. Christmas spirit is not just a feeling. It's a way of living and giving. It's a time to celebrate and appreciate the blessings we have and the love we share. Christmas spirit is not just a word. It's a message of hope and peace. It's a reminder of the birth of Christ and the gift of grace he brings. Christmas spirit is not just a season. It's a reason to be joyful and grateful. It's a chance to spread kindness and generosity and make the world a better place. Christmas spirit is not just a tradition. It's a mission to live with compassion and faith. It's a call to follow the example of Jesus and to shine his light in the dark. Christmas spirit is not just for Christmas. It's for every day and every moment. It's the spirit of God in our hearts and the joy of his presence in our lives. Wow. I'm pretty impressed and maybe a little creeped out that my computer can compose a better poem than I can. But the sentiments are spot on. Let's start preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus by confessing our failings and striving to live our lives with compassion, hope, and peace. Live out the Christmas spirit. Let us make straight the way of the Lord, for he's coming to save us. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. May God bless and keep you. May God's light shine into your life and lead you to peace.